Welcome to Talking Beat, the podcast for the Portland Police Bureau. We're focusing on thoughtful conversations that we hope will inform and provide you with a small glimpse of work performed by Portland police officers, as well as issues affecting public safety in our city. Here's what's on today's show. 3626, medical, we just got hit. She was laying on her back. She didn't move. Uh, I stood over her, uh, you know, got my knees and I was yelling, Kim, Kim, you all right? And uh, her eyes were open, but she wasn't saying anything. Um, I, I thought she was dead. On today's episode of Talking Beat, we're discussing driving under the influence or driving while impaired. Whether it's alcohol, illegal drugs, marijuana, driving while impaired can and has killed on the streets of Portland. Its impact is far-reaching from those who are injured or killed to those who are responsible. Later in this podcast, Sergeant Nick Newby is going to talk to us about his experience being hit by a drunk driver. But first, we're talking to Captain Stephanie Lorenko, who oversees the traffic division. We're going to ask her about what's occurring on our streets in regard to this dangerous behavior, enforcement, and what the community can do. Captain Lorenko, alcohol and marijuana are so prevalent and part of our culture. Do more people drive impaired these days, and what are officers seeing on the streets? Well, I don't know if more people are driving uh, impaired these days, but I do know that uh, my division investigates all the fatal traffic crashes that occur in the city, and that over 47% of those fatal crashes involve impaired driving. And we are doing everything that we can at the traffic division to prevent that and to um, bring justice to the, the families that are affected. What are some of the barriers to this kind of enforcement? Well, the largest barrier right now is staffing. Uh, this is a very specialized type of enforcement, requires a lot of training and experience. Officers at the traffic division, for example, are certified in all sorts of things such as uh, field sobriety, uh, A-ride, intoxilizer, uh, as well as their crash investigation skills. And then once you have a, a person in custody for DUI, there's a process that involves a lot of paperwork. It involves testing uh, on a breathalyzer machine or an intoxilizer. It may involve a blood draw. And then after that, the, if the person is lodged, then all of those reports have to be done in time for the hearing the next day. So this, with an experienced officer, can take several hours per arrest. So on average, our traffic officers can uh, process perhaps two, maybe three uh, DUI arrests in a night, and then they are done. Later in the podcast, we're going to be talking to a sergeant who was hit while on duty uh, by an impaired driver. What's going on out there? Well, unfortunately, that has happened to several of our officers in the past year, year and a half. At the traffic division alone, I've had one motorcycle officer uh, struck by an impaired driver uh, twice in one year. So uh, we're seeing that also at, just at the crime scenes. When we're at fatal crashes, unfortunately, it is not too uncommon to have an impaired driver drive past a barricade or crime scene tape into our crime scene that we're trying to investigate where someone has been killed, uh, oftentimes due to an impaired driver. And then they've contaminated in that crime scene. They've endangered the officers that were there. And then they, too, are also subject uh, to an arrest uh, for driving under the influence. I think one problem with, uh, with us trying to message don't drive impaired is that people never really think it's going to be them. Right. 
we always fo- seem to focus, and rightfully so, we focus on the victims of these crashes. And the drivers are part of this picture as well. And a lot of people don't think that they're going to be the driver. They don't think that they're going to be the one that gets caught up in this. And recently, I uh, was assisting with one of these fatal crash investigations where uh, an impaired driver was arrested. And while my team had done all of their work, that driver needed to be transported to jail. And so because they were busy and we were short-staffed, I volunteered to drive him down to jail. And it was a heartbreak. Uh, not be- not just because someone else was dead, but because this this was a young man. He was a really really good uh, young man. Had a couple of jobs. Um, was yes sir, no ma'am. He was talking about how bad he felt the regret, and all the way down to the jail, understanding that his life as he knew it was over. And before we got out of the car. He asked me, and I've never had this question before, he asked me for advice. He said, what can I do to get through this? And, and that, just, that just hurt me because um, he knew that his life, as he knew it, was over also. And he was just beginning his life. Uh, and he had a lot of, uh, he had a really bright future ahead of him. And he had just had a couple drinks too many, and went out on the road, came to a corner that he couldn't navigate successfully, and he ran someone over. He ran a pedestrian over. And uh, that really broke my heart, just from that perspective also. And, and so it can happen to anyone. Uh, and, that, and that's really the, the problem with, the, with the alcohol and, or drugs, or, or is that once you, once you start... You know, once you start consuming that, you lose the ability to make good decisions. Your judgment is impaired, and that judgment includes taking the next drink, you know, going out for a drive thinking that you're okay, and then suddenly, you know, many lives are changed as a result of that impaired judgment. So I think when I'm thinking about somebody driving impaired, it's at nighttime, maybe when they're coming out of the bars or, you know, had drinks after work or something like that. But it happens all the time, doesn't it? It does. Certainly, the majority of our uh, fatal crashes or our impaired crashes are at night. But, for example, we're doing a lot of enforcement through school zones, and we arrested an impaired driver this morning. Uh, that driver's being processed right now, uh, and it's, it's just now around noon. So this can happen at, at any time of the day. Other than not driving impaired, what do you want people to do? What do you want the community to do? What, what I want the community to do is just know that over half of our fatal collisions are related to impaired driving. And, you know, we get about 20 or 30 of those a year. And so they need to take an active role in helping to prevent that. They need to stop a friend from drinking and driving. They need to... Uh, monitor themselves, take advantage of rideshare and public transportation, uh, be, be responsible, you know, get a designated driver, all the things that everyone really knows about anyway. Um, be a part of the solution. And if, you're, if you are driving, if you're coming back from work or just from a night out and you're okay and you see a drunk driver, please report it. That's a 911 call. Now, you need to report that with your hands free. You can't have your 
your hand on your phone when you're doing that because then then you become part of the problem. But it needs to be reported. Anything we haven't covered? My final thought on DUI is, is that somehow this has become culturally acceptable. That people are dying from drunk driving and people aren't up in arms about it. People are dying, lives are being destroyed, and then everyone gets up the next morning and just carries on like it's another day. In the early morning hours of January 13th, 2018, Officer Kim Adams and Sergeant Nick Newby were involved in a serious crash on I-5 northbound, just south of the interstate bridge. The person responsible was sentenced to 20 days in jail and three years of probation. In addition, he can't drive for five years. Since this case has been adjudicated, Sergeant Newby is able to sit down with us and talk about that night. Sergeant Newby, take us back to what happened in mid-January 2018. Uh, I remember it was a uh, early Saturday morning. It was cold. It was nice out. Uh, it was right after the holiday season. Uh, so I, I want to say it was pretty steady that night. I was I had just left the precinct and I was uh, just rolling around monitoring calls. I didn't notice that uh, Officer Kim Adams was on a call on uh, I-5 North at the Interstate Bridge. And she had been there for probably about 10 minutes looking at the, the call on the computer and I was thinking about that spot, and I was like, you know, that's if she's actually on the bridge on I five North, that's a bad spot because there's no um, there's no shoulder uh, for uh, a vehicle to to park, so you would have to be on the freeway itself. And I noticed that there was no other car attached to her, and we were pretty busy, and we were short uh, officers, uh, so I decided to attach myself to that call and uh, and go up to cover her. So I headed that way. I arrived a short uh, time later, and I saw when, where she was parked, and she was parked in the right lane behind a car that was uh, stalled. The original call came out as a stalled vehicle. So I came up. I parked a ways back. I don't like being on the freeway. Just you hear the stories about crashes, and uh, being at the holiday season, it's a Saturday night, and I think it was about probably 1.30 in the morning around there, maybe a little bit before that. You know, you hear the stories about drunk drivers. So being in the lane of I-5, that was really concerning. So I parked quite a ways back from her car, and I turned the wheel of my patrol car all the way to the left. If my car was to get hit, it would hopefully not go straight into us where her car was, Officer Adams' car, and then the uh, the car that was stalled in the freeway. Um, so I, I did that, and then you know, I turned on the emergency lights for the patrol car. Uh, the back of the light bar in the cars, they have a, an amber traffic signal. I turned that on, uh, letting people uh, know that they need to merge to the left. And then because it was such a bad spot, I put a, a bunch of flares uh, behind the patrol car to you know, help give some identification to people like, hey, you, know, you got to move over. So I talked to uh, Officer Adams, and she uh, let me know that it was actually a DUI uh, that's what it turned out to be. It wasn't a stalled car. The The driver of the of the car that was stalled uh, was intoxicated, and he ran out of gas, and that's why he was stuck in the middle of the lane. So we had, we uh, got a tow truck going, expedited the tow, and uh, Kim was getting ready to uh, transport the, the suspects uh, out, of the, out of the area, and I told her, you know, I'll wait for the tow truck to come. And we were standing between, uh, we were, like, kind of right on the fog line, uh, between 
her car and my car, and we were maybe two to three feet apart from each other, just uh, talking real quick about what, what our next step was, when I, I just heard a huge, loud crash out of nowhere. And it, it's, it's funny because they, they tell you, like, when you're in a, a traumatic experience, um, you remember everything. And uh, <clears throat> the, you know, that event lasted maybe two to three seconds, but I, my memories of it are, like, 30 seconds worth of time. And um, I just I heard the loud crash, and I look over, and I see the patrol car, my patrol car, uh, flying towards us. And it kind of turned at an angle because uh, the, the wheels were turned. So the, the patrol car swung in front of me within maybe six inches. I remember the back end just swinging right in front of me. And then I looked over, and I saw Kim, which was, you know, you know, two feet away from me, three feet away from me. And the back end hit Kim. And uh, I just remember her flying. Just it, it picked her up like she you know, was a paperweight. And uh, she flew. I mean, she was about probably five feet in the air. And she flew from the fog line all the way into the center lane of I-5 and flew out probably about 25 to 30 feet. And it's, it's, it's crazy to me thinking about the, the, like how the time, there was like a time warp. Because I, I remember her landing... And then I, I clearly remember the front end of this white truck that's all mangled, and it's headed right at me. So I'm trying to get to the, the Jersey barrier that was only, I don't know, three, four feet away from me. Uh, it was super close. And so I'm running for that, hoping to get over it, when I just feel the, the truck come and uh, hit me and kind of pull me under it, and then it pushes me against that Jersey barrier. Um, Luckily, I was, you know, it was kind of the way that truck landed, it was at a slight angle. Um, so I was able to pull myself out from underneath and, and climb out between the, the truck and the Jersey Bear and then ran over to check on Kim. And I thought she was dead. Uh, she was laying on her back. She didn't move. Uh, I stood over her. Uh, I, you know, I got my knees and I was yelling, Kim, Kim, are you all right? And uh, her eyes were open, but she wasn't saying anything. Um, I, I thought she was dead. Um, <laughs> Luckily, um, you know, I, I looked over her, and I, I put some weight on her. I can't remember if I put weight on her leg or her shoulder, and she just yelled out that that hurt. Uh, you know, luckily, it was a little relieving to me knowing that she actually was alive because uh, I, I thought you know, her face was covered in blood. Um, when she landed, she landed on her head, and it uh, pulled, the, uh, pulled her scalp back. Um, but at some point in time, I don't really remember. I you know I called for uh, you know medical and asked for the freeway to get shut down. I've heard the recordings after that, uh, you know of of the of getting on the radio, and I don't remember really remember that piece. Um, but I, I, I remember uh, sitting in the middle of I five uh, on my knees with Kim and and looking up and just seeing traffic stopped. You know everybody luckily stopped. Uh, I just remember a ton of headlights. Um, but soon after, uh, you know, a couple, I could hear the sirens coming. I heard, you know, I remember Sabrina Dobbs, she was the first officer that, that arrived. And, uh, you know, she helped us out, and then, you know, medical got there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just a weird experience because the, the time warp of an event that lasted a couple seconds, like the memories of it seem like it took forever. And, you know, the, the crash itself seems like slow motion. The, um, you know, the wait for medical seemed like it took a long time, but I'm, I'm sure it was, you know, minutes. Uh, but in the end, you know, we were super lucky. Um, 
you know, Kim's alive. Uh, she's doing, you know, uh, relatively good for you know, what she experienced. Um, I, uh, I was supposed to leave for Thailand the next day, and luckily I was able to. My injuries were relatively minor compared to Kim's, uh, which is it's, it's kind of surreal to me because after I got back from my trip to Thailand, uh, I saw photos of the crash, and the, the spot where I was, where the truck uh, uh, had me pushed against the, the Jersey barrier, was such a small space. I mean, it, it was so small. If I had been over, you know, six inches, it, it would have been a totally different story. Um, so it was just, uh, yeah, it's, you, it makes you wonder, like, how, how I was in the right spot at the right time, you know, considering the event that I, where I ended up being after that truck came to rest was where this little pocket was, just enough space that you wouldn't get crushed. Um, you know, it was enough that I, I felt the truck pushing against me, but it, you know, it didn't uh, cause major injury. Um, so it just it makes you think about the uh, you know the, the wonders of life and how things happen. Um, because it would have been totally different if I was just over a couple inches, because uh, that that truck was right against that Jersey barrier, except for that little pocket where, because it was at a little bit of an angle, there was a little bit of space. Um, so yeah, it was uh, this probably one of the most uh, Traumatic things I've experienced, you know, seeing a coworker, you know, fly in the air and they, you know, they thinking that they're dead. Um, what happened to the driver who hit you? So I remember looking up at him as I was standing over Kim, and I yelled if he was okay because I had ran over to Kim after I got out between his truck and the Jersey barrier. So he was probably thirty feet away from me, and uh, he he just kind of looked at me, and I, I I could tell he was drunk just by looking at him. And he just shook his head that he was okay. But he just had that kind of faceless, expressionless stumper of someone that you'd see like leaving a bar that was just completely wasted. So he ended up being arrested for, for DUII. I believe he blew like a .08 or .09. And so you, you think about uh, somebody who he was drunk and they're driving and they end up getting into a crash, especially one where it's, uh, they drove right into the back of a police car with his lights on, with flares behind it. You'd think that they would probably be have a much higher blood alcohol level, but he, he didn't. He uh, he was just barely over the legal limit. So it makes you realize that you know drunk driving. When they say you know drunk driving is also buzz driving, uh, that means something because it could take somebody's life. So it's kind of incredible that you were stopped for a drunk driver and then you got hit by a drunk driver. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the drunk driver of the van, he was, a, he was young. I want to say he was like 21, 22, young kid. And Kim and I, we've had conversations about this. You know, we, she, uh, the, the drunk driver of the van for which the call was initially started because it came in as a, a stalled vehicle, he was sitting back at Kim's car. If my patrol car wasn't there to take that, that hit. We're not sure that you know, it, he would have either been pretty seriously injured or dead, who knows. There was a, a, a witness to the crash uh, who, who called the drunk driver and that hit Kim and I, uh, called in his driving, because he, he was there behind him on I-5 and he was weaving back and forth in the lane. And the witness uh, said that they could, as they were coming up to where Kim and I were stopped, uh, the witness said you know, they could clearly see that there was a police car there, the lights were on, 
uh, you know, they noticed the the uh, traffic amber bar on the back. You know, warning drivers to move to the left, and they slowed down uh, quite a bit because they were they're like, "Oh my God, this guy's not going to move over." So, reading the report from that witness, uh, you know, they they mentioned that when the the drunk driver who hit uh, the patrol car, uh, when he hit the car, there was no. No attempt to stop. It was uh, it was almost as if there was no car in front of him. He just went full highway speed into the back of that patrol car. Had that patrol car not have been there, and it had been Kim just there by herself, but this could be a totally different story also. So what do you have to say to somebody who, I guess who we're trying to reach with this, somebody who maybe has driven drunk before or somebody who hasn't thought about it, but may find themselves in that situation. You know, there's, there's really no excuse to, to drive drunk today. I mean, you have TriMet, you have Uber, you have Lyft, you have taxi cabs. There are so many resources to get you to where you want to be uh, if you choose to drink that don't require that you drive. There's just, there's just no excuse for that. And you, you just got to realize that your actions... They have consequences, and they can have really bad consequences for, for other people, uh, killing them, injuring them seriously. I mean, those are, those are things that you're going to have to live with. You took somebody's life, and it's something that could have been totally prevented. There's just no excuse. Don't drink and drive. Thanks for listening to The Talking Beat. Do you have a question for us? You can call and leave us a message on our dedicated voicemail line at 971-339-8868. Or send us an email to talkingbeat at portlandoregon.gov. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. More episodes can be found at our website, portlandoregon.gov slash police slash podcast. Oh, oh, oh.